0: The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries.
1: It is that time again. Welcome to episode 28 of the Dan Scott Show. I am Dan, as you just heard, as always, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Hope that you have had a great week and hope that over the course of the next hour, something that you hear on this program will be a blessing to you. I know that I try to pray before we record every episode, before I sit down to put it all together, normally on Thursdays, for God to bless what we're doing and take the interviews that we do and share with you weekly and let them be a blessing to somebody because I know that getting to do the interviews, they are certainly a blessing to me. As I mentioned last week, uh, summer is the time of reruns, and uh, because we've added so many affiliates uh, since we first started this program back on January the 8th, taking uh, the next three to four weeks moving forward to replay some of the interviews that we have done early in this program. Uh, Last week we replayed the interview with Brandon Puffer that actually ran in week two of the show was the first interview we did because show number one I shared my testimony. So we're going to continue that for uh, the next three or four weeks hoping that some folks who haven't heard these interviews will get a chance to to hear some of the things that we've done uh, over the first six months of the show. And to that end, the interview that we're going to replay this week is with actor T.C. Stallings. You remember him from the movie War Room. He's a former college and professional football player and has just an amazing story uh, coming out of the circumstances uh, that he grew up in to playing college football to chasing that NFL dream and and how God – basically did a 180 in his life acting was not on the radar for him and now he's becoming a highly sought after commodity in Hollywood all the while never losing sight of his faith it's an amazing story and you're going to hear the interview with TC Stallings when we come back but first as always want you to hear something about Grand Slam Ministries
2: is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of the Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life, or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure the Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, You'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at GrandSlamMinistries.org. That's GrandSlamMinistries.org.
0: Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org And now back to the show.
1: Episode 28 of the Dan Scott show. And we're going to jump right into this because this interview a few minutes longer than some of the ones that we turn out on a weekly basis, but uh One of the things that I've tried to learn over 38 years in this business, and I can't believe I just said that, 38 years. But one of the things I've tried to learn is that when you've got good material, you've got a good interviewee, and the thing is rolling, sometimes the best thing you can do is sit back, shut up, and let them go. And TC Stallings is one of those guys. He has an amazing story. He's lived an amazing life. And what God has done in him and through him is just inspirational. And uh, you're going to enjoy this. If you haven't heard the interview before, you're in for a treat. We began our time together by talking about the fact that uh, just recently he relocated out of Hollywood with his family. And has taken up residence in the Fort Worth, Texas area. And that move seems to have been very agreeable for he and his family and the life they want to live.
0: Yeah, yeah, getting used to it. Um, me and my family pretty much have the same existence where, wherever we live. You know, um, we, we started our family in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there for 13 years. And, uh, you know, we homeschool our kids. Uh, when I started acting, uh, we did all of that together. I go on auditions, you know, my, they come with me. Um, when I was playing football, whether it be college or pro, they all came with me. So we're always together. And we've always said, as long as the family is all in alignment with Jesus, we all love each other, we can be anywhere. So the trek from there to, you know, uh, out in the LA for 10 years uh, forward, we, we could be in Timbuktu. As long as we're together and following Jesus, we can, we'll be just fine.
1: I think the the key phrases there were together and following Jesus, because if you got those two things down, Jesus being at the top, and, and then everything else underneath that, then chances are it's going to work out. It may not always be the smooth ride you would like, but it's going to work out the way God has ordained.
0: That's right. It, it may not be painless, but it'll be purposeful, and that's what we always say, don't just... Long as we know the Lord's in front, even our pain makes sense, and that's the type of life we want to live.
1: Those are hard lessons to learn, though, aren't they?
0: <laughs> they, they are, and I, and I don't think – you know, you never sign up for, you know, hey, Lord, give me a hard one. Um, <laughs> it's just uh, – but, boy, I tell you, the, the ones that are hard sometimes are the ones that can be the most life-changing at times, even though we don't sign up for that.
1: Well, e- even in life in general you, and, and sports and, and you as being a, a high-profile athlete, you, you know you learn the most from adversity. Uh, you don't like those lessons, but that's what you learn the most from. But you're right. Nobody ever says, hey, Lord, I think things are going too well right now. Won't you, uh, won't you uh, throw some misery my way?
0: Right. Right. Hit me with some, hit me with some difficulty, Hit me with, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, whether your situation is smooth sailing or whether it's uh, a rough bumpy road, the key, you know, I, I, like you said, is, is to learn from both instances and, and make sure it's the lesson that God wanted you to learn and, and you learn from it and grow. That's the key. If you don't grow, then it was all for nothing.
1: I'm, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth on some things here, but as we're talking, was acting ever on your radar early in your
0: life? Not in the sense of what it developed into, you know, to me going to Hollywood and being in movies and all of that. It was I was a kid that loved to uh, act silly and get attention. So, you know, when the school or my church would say, hey, we're doing a play. Well, I knew you get to be up in front of everybody and and play another character and get some attention on yourself. So I was I was actually that type of kid. And So I did school plays and church plays, but it was always for fun it was never this thing where it's like, you know, one day I want to be in a big movie. Like, now for me, it was always about one day I want to be in a big NFL stadium playing football, you know. So, so yeah, I just did it for fun. I, I did not see this coming at all. Uh, the Lord definitely kind of punched me in the face with it, for sure.
1: Whether it was school or church, they have to reel you back in and say, look, man, let somebody else do something once. Were, were, you, all, <laughs> were, you, were you always that guy?
0: I, you know, what it was is people recognized – my personality and how so was. So they would they actually, it was like a mutual thing that everybody wanted. Like I wanted to be in there and they're like, you know, TZ, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. So it was one of, they knew I was silly and, and you know, goofy kid, have fun. And it, it's kind of hard to get people, especially in church and mm-hmm. stuff like that, to want to get up in front of everybody to do stuff put it this way, they just knew they wouldn't have to twist my arm for me to get into something. So, But it was never like, you know, sit down, and get out of the way. It's just like, hey, I hope you're going to do our next one. You're going to do our next one. And so, yeah, it was cool.
1: Uh, that's great. T.C. Stallings uh, joining us on this week's edition of the show. Um, when did you develop your love affair with the game of football?
0: Uh, I would probably say I was about 11, 12 years old. And it was one of those things where you in the neighborhood and. My neighborhood was rough and it's that same old story of, hey, find a way to get out. And for me, I used to see that uh, people could go to college for free or you know, you can go to NFL, you can change your parents' life. And I was growing up rough and I, I wanted to help my mother and my siblings and everything. So I just, I saw that dream play out with so many other athletes. And, and then, you know, I'm, I'm playing football, video games all the time. And you start to see like, hey, the dude that you're playing with is actually playing college football right now how cool so the coolness of it really kind of started hitting me as a kid i was about 11 12 and then when i i went to a practice uh saw my friend was playing for a city team and i didn't even know you could do that we're like 11 12 13 years old he's got a full uniform like uniform on and i'm like i've never seen that for our age he said you should come check out a practice i went and i was hooked and the rest is history um i'm out there running around i don't even got all the equipment you know i'm not (laughs) even on the team i don't have no permission to play i just asked the coach could i run around a little bit and i'm tearing it up and i'm just like all right this is it for me and i've been playing ever since i was 12 and every year i've always done great and so um it it, it then became the way to get out of the neighborhood and maybe some people's lives one day so it became my top priority
1: when, when did you realize you were pretty good
0: that day that day, really <laughs> the day i went out there in shorts and t-shirt and i'm i'm just i'm a dog i'm tearing it up i'm i couldn't be caught i could run and, you know, it was just, you know, we we've been playing in the neighborhood all the time and you know, mm-hmm. run around or whatever. And but but I had never known that you could play like organized football. And when I got out there, it was like year year one. I was I was 11, 12. And then I started playing the organized stuff, 12, 13. And just from the first time they hand me the ball off, you know, I'm gone. You know, it was just it was like a natural thing. Cause I was not the guy that grew up with people throwing a ball to me in the backyard. You know, my dad went in my life and everything. And my, my siblings, you know, my, my, I have, I have two brothers and three sisters and I think, you know, they're, they're not the type that, you know, take you out back, play catch, with you and all that kind of stuff. So I, um, I learned all that on my own, you know? And uh, so it's just, it's just a natural. And uh, like I said, once I started, I never looked back And every single year I played great. I was usually the star running back on the team every year.
1: What was life in the neighborhood like growing up?
0: Um, It was, it was rough. And the thing is, is when you and a lot of people who grew up the way I did will probably identify with this when you grow up in the, the, in the mud, you know, when you grow up in the, in the projects in the ghetto around the gang violence and the drugs and all that stuff, you actually don't see it as a problem. Like, I mean, how can I put this like, you see the danger, you know, it's wrong but it it, kind of is like the norm. I mean, I, I, I'm five years old, six years old. And once you start like seeing what your surroundings are, it's like, you know, you always see people fighting. You always hear bullets flying. You always, so it was like, you don't like it, but it's like the norm until you start to see better. Like I'm, I'm, you know, you're going to school, you got friends, you're going over their house and you see, wow, the mother and father aren't divorced. Uh, There isn't a whole lot of cussing, People aren't fighting and all that kind of stuff. And you don't have, you know drive-by shootings in this neighborhood and, and you start to see people do better then you go home and then every now and again you might catch some of that you know I had an amazing mother but my my house was just you know a little bit divided like at this point people are doing great in their lives for uh, you know, like my brothers and sisters but when I was growing up you know they had it rough too you know we all had it rough and people would find different ways to try to make it for themselves and it wasn't always on the up and up so, you know, at the end of the day, I grew up really, really rough. I didn't have the best examples, but uh, I will say nobody ever treated me terribly. Everybody always loved me. It was just hard. It was just a really rough neighborhood that I woke up every day um, trying to find a way to get out of it. You know, how can I get out? How can I help others get out? And that started to shape my dreams and goals and desires to uh, you know, makes it an NFL one day and change everybody's life.
1: And about what age did did those thoughts start coming that I got to get out of here and I got to make my mom's life better and, and do what I can? When, when did that start to formulate?
0: I was about 12 years old, man. My um, Like I said, my, my father went in my, in my life. some other mother, you know, did a little bit of dating. And then at, at some point she got serious, you know, with, with my stepfather, who had, she had been married to for uh, like 25 years uh, before she passed away. Um, but she... She, I remember when I was about, I don't know, maybe, I say maybe 11, 12 or so, and we're going downtown to pick up, you know, my stepfather from work. He worked downtown. Well, at the time, the stadium is called in in Cleveland, where I grew up. The stadium uh, now is called First Energy, but it was called Cleveland Municipal Stadium. The old one. uh, The old one. The mistake
1: by the lake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. And there was a game going on, and you could just hear the roar of the crowd and i knew i'd never be able to afford to go in there and watch one but i said to myself like you know what forget going to watch one day i'm going to be playing in there and uh that's where it kind of started and i knew what i had to do to get there and so i just put everything i uh, i had into getting that done
1: yeah, i don't know if you and i should be talking to each other i'm a cincinnati guy you know i'm i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bengal's guy so but right. uh you, you do what you got to do to get through tc <laughs> tc stallings with us on uh, this week's edition of the show um so obviously you were good enough in high school to get the scholarship offer and, and, and went on to play at Louisville. And at this juncture that NFL dream is still alive, right?
0: Oh yeah. I got my first I got my first recruitment letter when I was a sophomore and I was from a little small college and I think it was in like Pennsylvania named Teal. I didn't even know nothing about college football in terms of like how you get there. Like I said, my best experience about college football came from playing video games. I didn't, I didn't have that. Um, look, man, I was the first male in my family to graduate high school. So if that lets you know, um, what a standard was, like I said, my, my my family is loving and all of that stuff, but we didn't know better so that we could do better, you know? So it's not, it's not a knock on any of my family. Man, they always treated me great. We just didn't, it was just hard and rough and, you know, people dropping out of school. And just it, trying it's to make it's
1: it. just what you knew. This is what you knew. That right. was life.
0: And so, right. And so nobody, you know, knew to like, hey, uh, this is what you can do. This is how you get in college. This is called the ACT test. This is the SAT. Here's college prep courses here. Nobody had ever nobody had ever even been to college. So everything was I was a first at doing all of these things. And so, you know, for me, when I got that first letter, I'm just like, oh, so this is how it worked. Then I started really kind of playing extremely well and looking into it. Now I'm getting letters from everybody, you know, whether it be Ohio state or Maryland or Illinois or, or Penn or not Penn state. That's where I wanted to go. That's a whole other story. I ain't had a grades <laughs> to get a letter from them, uh, but all these schools started giving me letters. And so that every time my coach would hand me this envelope with, uh, or, or a rubber band with all these envelopes or letters in it, I just got more hype. And so every week I just continued to try to shine. And, and I you know, that's what I did. Got all Ohio's as a running back and, Got my scholarship to Louisville, playing well there. Yeah, the dream was alive and well.
1: All right, so, so let's let's pause on the football aspect for a minute, and, and let's talk about Jesus. When, when when did you surrender your life to Christ? What was that journey like for you?
0: Uh, belief in him and accepting God and everything and surrendering to him and letting him control your life is two different instances. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Um it, you know, when I was about seven years old, uh, I got baptized. I knew you're supposed to do that. I knew you, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you get baptized. I I, I see it happen in church. You know, my mother, my, I always say I got the best version of my mother. You know, I was, her, I was the youngest of six. By that time, she was the best version of her faith walk uh, because earlier in her, you know, faith journey wasn't all that great. So I got the best version of her where she's going to church all the time, singing in a choir, was committed, made me go. So from right out the womb, I'm going to church and- Seeing what you do. So once once you go into Sunday school and they they find out, you know, you believe they actually do you want to get baptized. Sure, I believe in getting baptized. I'm seven years old when that happened. and so every year it was just, hey, I'm baptized, I'm a Christian. And I thought that's all you really had to do. And you grow up that way. I'm still, you know, doing whatever I want to do. If I'm at school and my friends are cussing and I'm cussing with them, uh, or we watch you know, dirty movies or listen to bad music. Like I didn't think God cared about that kind of stuff. I believe in him. I'm I'm good. That's it. I took that belief all the way to college and it was my sophomore year in college where my faith really, really, really bloomed. And it was just through a random Bible study uh, with another student that was there we started digging into the Bible. And I really saw that belief was not enough. You know, we're opening up all the scriptures and we're seeing that, you know, everybody believe, you know, or not everybody, but anybody can believe, but that doesn't transition you into a follower. Like you have to do that. Mm -hmm. You have to take that next step and so i'm I'm looking at all these scriptures and i'm chopping up the bible and it was my sophomore year of college where i really gave uh like gave jesus control of my life let the holy spirit take control and i knew exactly what and why and all of that and i wasn't just living off of belief but but so that was my sophomore year when everything kind of changed where I, i would say i became a true christ follower not just somebody who believes.
1: So, so God—if you want to look at it this way—he orchestrated your football career to bring you to a place and meet a person that was going to open that door for you to to get you on the the right path for your spiritual journey.
0: Well, I, I always say this to every to everybody, man. Everybody has a Psalm one thirty nine sixteen, and if you know that scripture, you saw me before I was born. Mm-hmm. Every day of my life was was uh, uh, written in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So, you know, God knows exactly where I'm headed and he knows at the point where he wants to get my attention and it's going to come down to a decision that I make to either go his way or my own way. And I feel like the more and more he put people in my path, like all of these people that make these little deposits in your life that point you towards him, man's 100% behind that. You see that from scripture, but now it's about the response. And so I could have either just not listened to that or I could humble myself and soak it all in. And I praise God, you know, through his grace and mercy, nothing about me is special. It's just through his grace and mercy, I was able to humble myself, listen to everything, believe what was read, and that made me become a true Christ follower. So all all credit goes to the Lord for, you know, orchestrating that path so that I could have my Damascus moment, uh, moment like Paul, you know, and, and, and make that decision.
1: Yeah, and we... We hear stories like that. We've all experienced things where if we will just let go and, and follow what God wants for us, we know that that he's got the perfect plan, even if we don't see the big picture like he does. And we've all had those experiences that tell us that. And yet, I think especially as men, I had this conversation with, with our guest last week, who's a, a very high-profile law enforcement officer here in South Carolina, who is an unabashed Christian. We can be knuckleheads. As men, sometimes, even though we, if if you're a Christian and you follow Christ and you've had that example, all of those examples, you know, he knows what's best. And yet sometimes we still want to get in the way and do things ourselves.
0: You know, what's funny It's like, and this has taught me a lot, being in the different industries that the Lord has put me in, whether it be uh, professional sports or whether it's been professional performing. I mean, you hitting it on the head as far as people being knuckleheaded. But I'm like, as far as men go, we're just most familiar with men. Mm-hmm. But like you said, man, everybody is knuckleheaded when they, it's, it comes down to when you want what you want, whether it's a man or a woman. It's like, when we want what we want, we get so selfish and blinded and silly and stupid when we want what we want. Because mm-hmm. like when a woman wants what she wants, you know, uh, she's going to, she can ignore God and men, when we want what we want we ignore God. It's that, it's that fleshly battle that human beings Mm -hmm. face. I would say human beings can be knuckleheads and it all comes down to the flesh and mastering the flesh is just one of the hardest things to do. And you can't do it on your own as a human being, you know? And so it's like, when you just surrender that part, once that happens and God is the one that you you're counting on to help you beat the flesh up in the way that it needs to be, you know, uh, put under your foot so it can surrender to you. You do what, you, what what God calls you to do. That's when life truly changes. But when you go on your own, and it, it, man, it it is. I, it, put it this way: it's a defeat. It's a defeat waiting to happen.
1: How long have you been married?
0: I've uh, gone 22 years. June 9th will be 22 years for me. I got how, married my senior year in high school.
1: How often do you tell your wife that she's an knucklehead?
0: <laughs> Never. She'll tell. She'll tell. She'll tell. She'll tell <laughs> she'll regurgitate everything that i'm saying (laughs) i got you like sure the cool thing about the cool thing about me and my wife man is um she she knows that like we look at scripture uh as as human beings like she's it's like there women aren't smarter with christ men aren't smarter with christ like there is none of that it's it's all the holy spirit gets all the glory anyway so it's like you know, they're not better at being Christians. Men aren't better at being Christians. It's like, as far as it's the person who is sold out for letting the Holy Spirit take over will be the better Christian because the Holy Spirit is the same in all of us. And it's who's willing to put him to the front. I will tell you this, that being that men are sometimes, um, you know, we're, we're put into the leadership role. Mm-hmm. I think we have the most opportunity to get the most prideful. I will tell you that because we're we're accounted for to be the leaders. So we, I think when it comes down to like pride, and making some kind of uh, knuckleheaded decisions, yeah. I would say we probably take the lion's share of those right. because of the positioning that we're put in. <laughs> and, and, and
1: and knucklehead is the kind word, and I use it to describe myself a lot. Uh, you, you wouldn't know this, obviously, because this conversation is the first one we've ever had, but mm-hmm. it, your role in the war room was one that, in a lot of ways, paralleled, my relationship with my wife and mm-hmm. the way that I was acting up until I gave my life to Christ about 10 and a half years ago when I was 45 years old and I'm a preacher's mm-hmm. kid pastor mm-hmm. pastor uh is, my dad is and so so I get it. I, I I I trust me when I say knucklehead. That's that's a, a, a kind of a watered down word yeah. that I have used to describe myself in the past. Yeah. But but as men, you're right. We 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 can get that way, and I think pride is part of it. A lot of us were raised in an era where we were taught that hey, you don't complain. You just if it's broke, you fix it, and and all these other things. And, and we're not as vulnerable sometimes as we need to be.
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny about about um, knuckleheadedness is like my character, Tony Jordan, if you're anything like him in that movie see, he he wasn't a knucklehead. That dude was he was inexperienced. He was ignorant. Mm-hmm. And there's a when you're ignorant, you're not you're you're inexperienced. You don't you don't know you become a knucklehead when you know better and you don't do better there's there's your knuckleheadedness this is what kind of what i talk to my children i'm like it's one thing when you don't know um now you're as you're you're kind of falling victim to your ignorance and then you need to try and make sure you learn that's why you you know you can't you can't obey what you don't know so if you ain't reading scripture you are screwing up because you don't know you can't claim promises from the lord that you don't know about so if you need to read scripture so you know but now when you know it we've taught it as parents and you know it, or you read in the scriptures, you know, and you know it, and then you still do something else. And then we warned you about the consequences and you still do something else. Mm -hmm. Now there's your knuckleheadedness. And that, boy, I tell you, I mean, both are kind of messed up, but one there's a little bit more grace for the other. It's because you don't know.
1: Well, fortunately, God has enough grace to cover all of us. Absolutely. So that's the most important thing if you're willing to accept it. T.C. Stalling's joining us on this week's edition of the show. Uh, Back to football for a moment. Uh, You had the dream. You were at Louisville and you were chasing that NFL career. Didn't quite get there. You did play professionally in the Arena League, Canadian League, and NFL Europe for a while. When did you know it was time to quit chasing that dream and how difficult was that for you?
0: Uh, It was a collection of things. Uh, The main two would be getting very close and just people kept, you know, the door kept being shut. And it took me a good little minute to understand that, you know, really people ain't the opener and shutter of doors. It's the Lord, especially, you know, you go over in Europe and, you know, I run for 1,500, over 1,500 yards over there, 26 touchdowns, the MVP, and we won the Super Bowl championship over there. I'm like, okay. I get it, I didn't have the numbers in college. I certainly got them now. I got all this experience, I done ran all over the CFL, and you know, like, let me show this and get in. And then you still can't get uh an opportunity, you know, the injuries are mounting up. You're starting to get older, but when I was like 33, I had my best season and, and I was faster than I was in college. You know, it's like this is trending the right way, but then I go and I and I go see uh, a movie. Um, people who for me with my story know you know, I go, I see fireproof yep and um i'm just completely inspired by it i mean the movie was good it wasn't completely the movie as much as it was the reaction from married couples Mm -hmm. in the theater because i because it was a lot of people from my church had uh, we had this acting group of my church and they asked me to come to this movie with them so it was all couples it's like it's like mostly married couples was in there and watching people respond to the movie's message and like in real time is what got me. And, and then the movie kind of affected me too. I felt like, man, I thought I was doing pretty good. I've been married seven years. I thought I was pretty good. I felt like I'm not so great right now. <laughs> and I'm like, um, a movie is convicting me like this. So I saw the power of film. And this is when the acting bug really kind of started to bite right there. And uh, I'm like, in order to do this, it's gonna, I can't do both. You know, Um, I, gotta, I like to go all in on something. So now I gotta authenticate this. Is this the Lord? If it's him, then I'm quitting football. And so I prayed that I would get connected with the Kendrick brothers. And it wasn't even a year later that that's exactly what happened. So I felt like he directly answered that prayer for sure. And um, I put football in the rearview mirror and started pursuing acting. So
1: which, which came first, the the meeting with the Kendrick brothers or the uh, the uh, uh, reality TV experience?
0: The, the, the reality TV experience. That came first. And But for me, I, I knew that that wasn't going to amount to – well, I, I won't say I, I knew it wasn't going to amount to anything. I just was used to, like, you know, I, nobody's going to really say that I'm this great actor when I didn't do any acting. It right. was just, you know, me on this show. I won the show. But it was that was more for me uh, getting a feeling of what it's like to be in that industry and the acting book. Like I said, the acting book really, really chumped at that point, too. Because I, I go over there. This was 04, um, and I win this show on Animal Planet. They fly me out of the country. Um, I'm in Australia filming my own show. That was the prize for winning, and that's what I got a chance to see. What it was like to have everything taken care of for you, or you got to learn a script. Uh, all these producers and cameras and just all this stuff. Every all expenses paid. You're traveling. You're you know. I'm like this is amazing. And then I came back, and then it was all over. And I'm just like, man, I I, I could see myself doing that. But then that's right after that, um, I got picked up by the CFL and my, and then I'm doing well there. So now the the NFL stuff. So I shoved the acting, but it was in my pocket. Like I, I was like, huh. So then it was 08 that I went and saw Fireproof. Mm-hmm. And the football thing, I did the best I'm ever going to do and couldn't get in. And now I'm feeling this way. So now I just have to see like, okay, this is a crossroads. Let me pray. And the Lord opened the acting door. I mean, he kicked that thing in because... I see people to this day have been trying to connect with, you know, studios for years and never get a shot. I got it rather quickly. And my first movie is number four in the country uh, with Courageous. Mm-hmm. And people knew who I was right away. And L.A. comes calling and saying, hey, we'll help you the rest of the way. And that took a whole another prayer thing because I'm like, man, I'm not going out to know L.A. And um, but we prayed it through and the Lord did it again to show me that, hey, this is me. I got you. I have a purpose for you. I go out there and three years later, I'm in the number one movie in America and it's about him, you know? So, you know, it, it was authenticating the calling through prayer that was key and not just chasing something just cause somebody say, you know, Hey, we're Hollywood, we're big time or whatever. I'm like, Hey, the Lord has to sign off on this cause I know my standards and this ain't making sense to me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Lord got it, that whole process, man. But yeah, that's what led to me hanging hanging up the cleats and um, starting to uh, act. And I, I've been doing it ever since. And that was around 2012. I mean, uh, four
1: times since 2012, and, and all of this, the success that you've had, I'm sure has has brought in a ton of offers for you. Uh, but in, in in reading and knowing what I, I've I've been able to find out about you, you you are very very specific about the kind of roles that you take and about the kind of roles that you won't take because of your faith in Christ. Um, what kind of conflict has that caused you? Number one in this business, and and, and number two. What's your process about deciding which roles you actually want to take?
0: Man, you know you, the key word there. You said turning down offers. And what's funny is a lot of people when they read about me and hear me say what I've turned down, uh, it's rare that you hear me say offers. You always hear me say opportunities, mm-hmm. um, and they are a little bit different. And this even makes it kind of hit a little harder. It's like I I rarely get to the point of being able to get the offer because I never can get past the audition part or reading the material, like the opportunity is what I turn down a lot. Right. You know, you know like if people see what comes across, whether it be like big name stars are in it, um, could probably pay me a ton of money. I never get to see that money. Like, I never want to paint the picture that somebody put like, you know, two, $300,000 check in front of my face and, and then also gave me the script and said, hey, we want you. You just got to do this and i'm like push it to to the side no what it is 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 audition opportunities to where people are really really digging you and they're just like hey if you can come in here and impress us you got it and they tell you what you know the potential hey this could be fifty sixty thousand dollars an episode so it's a lot of could be could be could be could be you just got to go audition and then i look at it and i'm just like i can't do this and to answer your question about like how do i make that decision man it's the same same i took to hollywood with me and i've had for the last ever since i started acting i said look if jesus is in the room i need to be able to do it in front of him if i can't do it in front of him then i ain't doing it because he is with me He's he sees everything i got an answer to him and that's it it's the it's it's a question that i always say a lot of christian actors because uh, again, I'm not a faith based film actor. That's just what I've been in. I'm just I'm gonna performer. I'm an actor and I just happen to be Christian. I'll do anything, any genre, any movie, as long as if Jesus saw it, he's not gonna be like, TC, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just a clean content actor. So with that being said, you know, it's 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 running it like like knowing that it doesn't match up with my faith, knowing that Jesus wouldn't approve of it. You have to say no. And if, if any person who calls himself a Christian actually asks himself that question before taking a role, there's only one answer. You know, you can't say MF this and, and do this and naked sex scenes and all of this stuff. You wouldn't do that if Jesus was in the room, you know? And so a lot of the material that was coming my way, uh, they'd say, hey, you got the look, you got that leading man look, you got the build, you know, but you're gonna have to like chill with the, I don't kiss other women stuff. You're gonna have to chill with the, you know, it's just a word. It's just, it's just acting. It's just, and I'm just like, man, that is not how God sees it, bro. You don't read the Bible that I read. So I can't get down like that. And so that led to me passing up opportunities that would lead to an offer. So right. I never, I really got to the offer stage for stuff like that because of I'm not going to do things that Jesus wouldn't approve of.
1: You know, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about that, I I go back, and this has been a number of years ago, but uh, you know, you may remember, people walking around with shirts or the the wristbands as (laughs) ww what would jesus do do? and and unfortunately that became more of a fashion statement than it did a mission statement
0: yeah absolutely yeah people don't want to people don't you don't see those no more because at the end of the day when you wear that people you got to actually live it out (laughs) so (laughs) you stop wearing them because you're wearing a bracelet while you at a strip club or you're wearing, wearing a bracelet while you cussing somebody out in a, in a store or cussing your children out or you're cheating on your taxes with a what would Jesus do bracelet so it, it not only became uh it, you know this thing that you have to live up to so people start wearing that stuff you know what I mean and so <laughs> I just find it funny I'm like well for me the new what would Jesus do is just uh for me is you know I'm just not it, it's how you live your life out loud and uh um, you know, turning down these roles and 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 showing it with the way you live, uh and and being willing, even saying it now, like saying it like this, this is the equivalent of wearing it because mm-hmm. people are gonna now watch me in my life and see if you're if, if you're a real one, is TC a real one. And I'm 100 percent up for that challenge. Uh, because I already got somebody way greater than anybody on this earth that holds me accountable. I literally put Jesus in the room with me uh when it come down uh, the choices that I make. And that's I fear him, so I don't I don't I would wear the bracelet. I'm just not a, I'm just not a, a prideful dude. I'm like you know I, right. I don't need that. I just I just speak it out and live it, and I'm 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 cool with the world holding me accountable for the type of person that I claim to be because I know that God will hold me up so that I don't ever lose my testimony, which is the most important thing to me. If I ever lost that, I don't need to be here. I don't even need to be living. If I ever lost my ability to tell somebody about Jesus, and because of something I've done in my life. Um, and, and I'm openly sinful or whatever, man. And then now they don't want to hear and they don't trust my words about the Lord. Uh, yeah, that's, that means everything to me. So I, I got enough reasons to keep it clean.
1: And he's also the the greatest booking agent in the world because he still keeps giving you parts. You still keep working and, and doing things like this without compromising your standards. So it's obvious that he's working in your life.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, Psalm 139, 16. I always say anybody who has said no to TC, uh, they did not do that on their own power. They did it because the Lord, the Lord no came first. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord says before I was born, he saw my days. He planned my life before I ever lived the day. So when people say no to me, I don't look at it like, man, you shut this door. The Lord shut that door. Right. And the way I know that is always make sure I'm walking with him. Cause if I'm not walking with him, then maybe it was my sin that caused that door to shut and the Lord shut the door. But if I'm walking with the Lord, do what I'm supposed to do. And he says, you can't have that. That's the door that he shut. And nobody can open that. If I'm walking with the Lord and he says, we're going to walk right through that door. So you're going to get that role. There's nothing anybody can do to stop me from getting that role because the Lord is the one that shuts and opens doors. So like you said, man, he, he, he is basically the real agent and manager of my career. And I'll take whatever, However many roles he say I can do, and I'll stay away from however many roles he say I can't do, and because I live this life for him, I'm fine with that.
1: Yeah, my wife and I pray together every morning before she goes off to work, Um, and and one of the things that I've been praying consistently lately is, is Lord, open the doors you want open, close the ones you want closed, and give us the discernment to know which is which.
0: That's a prayer I, I teach everybody all the time. That's that's literally a carbon copy of. Of what I say, you know, like I said, Lord, open the doors you want to open, shut the doors you don't, and give us the wisdom to know the difference. James one five, and we don't have to be in the dark about those things. That's a prayer that that according to scripture, like I said, Jesus answers that prayer daily mm-hmm. because you're walking with Him. So yeah, that's that's exactly that's exactly the prayer that I live by because I know He'll answer that, and He's not going to let me walk into a trap when I'm begging Him to to have me walking behind Him. You know, so I tell people all the time, and you don't have to be in the dark about your life. You may not always know where you're going, but you will know who's leading, and that's what matters the most. Who's leading? Who cares where you're going? Just as long as you know Jesus is out in front. Now you got to just faithfully follow.
1: TC Stallings with us as we uh, start heading down the home stretch of our uh, our time together here. Uh, the the thing about being a a Christian in any kind of public life, or really being a Christian in any phase of life, now is the way that today's culture is turning or has turned, and now things that people used to not bother Christians with, now they're taking offense at, and and it's becoming more and more of an anti-Christian culture, especially in, in your industry, and, and yet you continue to stand tall and stand firm for your faith in that industry in the midst of of where culture is heading today. How How difficult has that been for you?
0: I mean, the the more difficult part for me is probably Christians who don't know how to navigate it. I ain't worried about the world. I, it's to me, it's the Christians that don't navigate it right because you're you're forgetting why we're here. Mm-hmm. Like as far as the world doing what the world gonna do. I mean, if you're reading your Bible, you already see that that has to happen. Everything that the Bible says, you know, people are going to be doing. They're doing, and so you should be excited because you're getting closer to certain things happening that the Bible that the Bible promises will happen at these times so it doesn't shock me uh, what the culture is doing um and as far as getting upset with them it's, or you know worrying about it I'm just like well again the culture does not control anything you know they don't God is in control God is sovereign culture is not sovereign so I don't have to change for them I have to love them that's the part that i see a lot of Christians missing out on is the love part mm-hmm. you know they they're fighting culture instead of loving them Um, You know, they're, they're arguing with them. I see a lot of people, a lot of big prominent names call themselves Christians sitting up here arguing with these folks politically and all of that. And that ain't cool. It's just you really aren't doing your job. And that irks me more because, see, again, you go to talk about Jesus to somebody and they will lump me in with anybody who claims to be a Christian who has been unloving and unkind you know, uh, especially on the political scene and all of that. And that's not biblical. You look, you actually look more like a Pharisee than you do Jesus when you do that. And you should be loving these people. Um, and you don't have to agree with them to love them. And they probably won't like the way you love them, but they shouldn't be able to argue with you about, like they won't say you wasn't loving and kind. They'll say they disagree with you. They they don't like that you didn't support their lifestyle choices, but they, they should be able to say, but I can't, I, got, I gotta keep it real. He was loving, he was kind. But he said that this was wrong. He showed me my sin. He didn't support it. He didn't, but he wasn't, I didn't see evil in him. And when I look in scripture and see how a Christian is supposed to be, he matched up with that. Um, And so, yeah, so the more difficult part about it is watching Christians um, not care about how they're failing the mission, which is go and make disciples. You got to protect your testimony by the way you handle the culture. Um, Love them, you know, rebuke what you need to rebuke. But don't be the reason that they won't come to Jesus because you're hypocritical, you're Pharisaic. Uh, That's the most irritating thing about it. Uh, But but, but the cultures is doing what God said they would, so that shouldn't surprise nobody.
1: Yeah, you read Matthew uh, twenty-four, you read Romans one, you know exactly where culture in the world is headed. If you read your Bible, you should know.
0: Absolutely. So you know, ain't no surprise. You should just be be getting ready. You know, getting ready and continuing to uh, play your role within how Christians are supposed to be at this time we should be pulling people out of the world we should be loving the world uh being a reason that they come to Jesus as opposed to giving them fuel and gasoline and proving them right in some cases mm-hmm. for the gripes that they have with Christians you know so that's that's where that's where it is but I uh, you know um God controls my roles so I'm never worried about standing up for him because he's the one that gets to say whether I get to do something or not not right. culture. Um, you know, I love culture, but I don't, I don't bend to them. And, I, and when I say I love culture, I'm saying it's just the people. I love them because God loves them, but they'll never make me change because they don't control anything. You know, I just want to love them. And I fear God, not culture.
1: Right. And I, I spoke at a church two weeks ago and, and the day this airs, I'm speaking at another one. And part of the message is going to be the same that we have to speak the truth but we have to speak it in love, and and what has happened just to what you alluded to, and I think social media has played a role in this. Media in general has played a role in it. As Christians, sometimes we just want to throw some Bible at them to try and win an argument, and you're not going to win souls for Christ that way. Yeah, you've got to show them Scripture, and 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 exactly what you said. Show them their sins. Show them these things. But you've got to do it in love, and, and a lot a lot of people who claim the name of Christ, aren't showing a whole lot of love right now?
0: Not at all. In fact, they ain't even showing, they're not even showing that they're disciples. I mean, you can't, I can't see you claiming Christ and then, you know, cussing people out online and political debates and all this different stuff and saying all this, you know, vitriol and all this stuff. It's like, look, you got to understand you can't match. I'm sure they may be doing that to you, but you can't match that. Mm -hmm. Like how, if I'm looking at this conversation and I can't figure out who the Christian is, there's a problem. And you see that a lot, you know, what I mean that's like one of the it's it's so disheartening to see. So I don't I don't really spend a whole lot of time on social media. Um, like I said, because like you know, the, the the world has an excuse. They don't know. Again, back to what we said earlier. Mm-hmm. The world may be being being uh ignorant in some areas, but the Christians being knuckleheaded. Yeah, we know better. And we just gonna talk and match their word for word with profanity and, and just it, it's just embarrassing because there's no way you just cuss me out. i'm going to come back the next day talking about and i don't even it don't even matter if you was right but you cuss me out with a show no love and i'm going to come back to you and ask you to tell me more about jesus yeah and you just call me a mother effing moron Mm -hmm. and you supposed to be a christian please that's a big problem that's that's that that's more of something i worry about with culture versus um you know the culture Mm -hmm. itself because those hearts are right he says the bible said the harvest is plentiful it's the workers that are few. That are few. So, so who does it sound like Jesus really got his gripe with? Mm-hmm. The, the harvest or the farmers? Yeah. So,
1: you know. uh, hey, listen, I, I told you a minute ago, you're talking to a preacher, son. I'm ready to pass the plate right now, man. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is good stuff. All right, I've already kept you 10 minutes longer than I said I would, but we got rolling. So two quick things, and we'll Go get on. out of here. Number one. Talk going back to the movie War Room. Uh, you, you worked with Priscilla Schreier in there, who people mm-hmm. know as Tony Evans' daughter. So, so was mm-hmm. Dr. Evans on set supervising?
0: No, nah, he came, he visited, which was cool. It was the first time I got a chance to meet him, and uh, he, he had made some jokes. I'm sure he was familiar with the scripts. Uh, and you know, Tony Jordan, my character, pretty much a jerk in the first part of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and you know, um. You know, Pastor Evan, like uh, you know, making funny jokes about you you better you better fix that up, get that right, and it's funny. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, I, I I remember him being on set for like a couple of days and uh you know, he had, he wrote some books at the time. I can't remember which one I came out, but it was uh nice of him to you know, he assigned books and was passing them out to people. But yeah, he visited, he was there for a couple of days. But he wasn't there throughout the whole shoot, but he did mm. he did visit.
1: Yeah, he, he he is a phenomenal preacher. I really, really love Listening to that man go about it, he he uh, he picks him up and lays him down in the pulpit, as they say. Final question for you: When everything is said and done, what do you want people to remember about TC Stallings?
0: That uh, once he learned what Jesus wanted him to do, once he learned from Scripture and from prayer what it truly mean to be a Christ follower, that he never compromised the platform that Jesus gave him. That said, there was nothing you can ever buy him. You know, you can never get him to trade in. Um, what God wanted him to do for what the world wanted him to do or for his own selfish desires. Once he learned, once he was enlightened by scripture, uh, once the Lord got a hold of him, once the, once Jesus got his heart, he never compromised Um, no matter the opportunity, no matter the payday. uh, He never compromised the platform that Jesus gave him and see, because that can inspire people long after I'm gone. Um, And so that's the legacy that, um, that I plan to leave is that, uh, Hey, that guy did it. Um, he never compromised. And so for that reason, I'm not either And First and foremost, it'd be the motivation of the Lord that they get, but, uh, you know, how the Lord uses people, you know, just like in sports where I was inspired to be a professional running back because my hero was Barry Sanders. So seeing him do it, made me want to do it. Um, well, I hope that when people see, um, a person that has allowed the Holy spirit to capture their heart mm-hmm. and, he, and he, and he never compromised, you can, you can you can try to dig up some areas where and, and you just don't see it with the platform that God gave him. That's what I want people to remember about me.
1: Hey, and and th- that that's a great attitude because Paul in in his writings told people to imitate him. Why? Because he was imitating Christ.
0: Yep, that's it. Yep, that's it. that's that's exactly the cool thing about reading scripture is that they, these are people whose whose obedience to the Lord has been recorded, um, whose lessons from the Lord have been recorded, like all of their stuff. And a lot of us are Christians because obviously the Bible. So we read about Paul, we read about Peter, we read about Job, we read about David, we read about these people mm-hmm. and, and how they walked with the Lord and, and how the Lord thought of them, how He treated them, how He helped them. And we're inspired by that. We're Christians because of of these you know books. So you think about how if you live your life the way God mapped out for you to live it, and when you're gone out of here, and somebody hears stories about you, that inspires them to want to walk with the Lord, you know. And so that's 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 what I mean. Like for me. You know, I can't imagine how any of these people in Scripture would have felt if they, if they, if they uh, failed at obeying God's purpose for their life, and and don't get the chance to be a part of all these people, generations later that are growing because of what Paul did, Peter did, Job, James, all these people. And uh, I want to be in that number as well. And so, um, and the Lord promises that that's what will happen. And you obey Him, people, testimony can live on. And um, and that's what's all about making disciples. So that's. That's my existence. If I ever lose that, I don't need to be around.
1: And I think it would be wise for all of us who follow Christ to have that attitude. Great stuff. T.C. Stallings, again, thank you for your time. And I hope that you folks enjoyed hearing that interview, some of you hearing it again and others for the very first time. That originally aired back in early February in the early stages of the show. We need to take a very quick break and come back and put a wrap on episode 28 of The Dan Scott Show. Stay right there. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and, yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is GrandSlamMinistries.org.
0: Want to see a listing of our affiliates, check out videos, or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show.
1: Back to put a very quick wrap on things for this episode 28. Again, our thanks to TC Stallings for giving us his time back in February. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Now, earlier this week in my Bible reading, I came across Psalm 74, and in this psalm, Asaph is questioning God. Why are you allowing our enemies to destroy us? Why have you abandoned us? When are you going to make them pay for their transgressions? And I couldn't help but think that we feel the same way today, helpless as ungodly people and forces seem to be running unchecked in our society right now. And it's a circumstance that is quite honestly, getting worse instead of better. And as I was reading that and putting some thoughts together, I had two thoughts. First of all, number one, like the Israelites, we've brought this on ourselves by turning away from God and chasing idols, power, fame, fortune, etc. America and the world, for that matter, has set itself squarely in the crosshairs of God's judgment. But number two, he's still in control. And no one gets put into office or position of power that God doesn't allow. And one day we know he's going to put an end to this mess once and for all. So what's our job as Christians? Well, we're to go about living a life that is so counter to today's culture that people can't help but notice. Love our enemies. Be last here so we can be first there. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and humble ourselves before the throne of God. And you have to ask yourself a question, like I did. If you're living a life that is not noticeably different from the world, why would the world want what we have? And as a former pastor of mine used to say, that's easy preaching and hard living for sure. So my prayer for myself and my prayer for you as we get set to wrap up this week's show is, Lord, help me to humble myself before my fellow men. Help me to emulate Christ as much as humanly possible and help me to love the people who hate me because of Jesus Christ and help my life to be a light unto the world. Hope you have a great week coming up. We'll see you again next week with another edition of The Dan Scott Show. Until then, I'm Dan saying God bless you and so long, everybody.